I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Jonathan Cedar, co-founder of BioLite, a company that produces clean, portable stoves for cooking off the grid in developing countries as well as for camping. The stove reduces toxic smoke emissions by 90% by using its own heat waste to generate energy. BioLite is targeting a global public health challenge of smoke pollution caused by cooking over an open fire. According to the World Health Organization, more than 7 million people die annually from smoke originating from open cooking fires. A USB port on the stove can also charge a cell phone or other portable device, which is useful to the more than 1 billion people who own cell phones but lack electricity. Jonathan graduated from Dartmouth College. Welcome. Thank you. How does the BioLite stove work? Sure. So the BioLite stove is a wood-burning stove that recaptures the waste heat and turns that heat into electricity using a technology called thermoelectrics. Thermoelectrics are kind of like solar panels for heat instead of light. And um, we take that electricity and use it, essentially cause the smoke to reburn. So how much smoke is the stove actually generating? If I'm looking at a stove and it's burning, am I seeing smoke? If you see a car driving down the street and there's smoke coming out of the tailpipe, you would say to yourself, that's a badly tuned car. And if you look at an open fire or any sort of wood fire and there's smoke coming out of it, it's the same exact thing. It's a badly tuned fire. What we're able to do with our technology is take that 10% of really nasty stuff and turn it to 1% of really nasty stuff. You mentioned wood is used to, to fuel or to start these, these fires of, of these stoves. What else can you put in these stoves? Obviously wood, but also agricultural residues. So, um, you know, crop waste, corn stalks, that kind of thing. Cow dung as well, dried cow dung. Prior to starting BioLite, you worked at a firm or a company called Smart Design, which helped companies like OXO, uh, which sells kitchen appliances or staples, to create innovative products. And it was there that you came up with the idea for a camping stove with your co-founder, Alex Drummond. You worked on this for more than three years before you even incorporated a sort of a side project. Did you have sort of an aha moment where you finally got this technology right, or was it more of a gradual process? No, there was definitely an aha moment. So um, the, the project started nights and weekends, and it was really Alex's initial idea. His brother had given him a small um, wood-burning can with a battery-powered fan on the bottom of it. Alec and I are both pretty avid uh, outdoor folk and campers, and um, this seemed like a great alternative to bringing those nasty petrol cans out on the trail. And there was this one aha moment in um, Alec's industrial loft in in Dumbo, Brooklyn, where uh, we had built this funny little bent sheet metal thing. I remember us sitting in his loft, and it's smoking, and it's not lighting, and it's not generating electricity, and you know we're really scratching our heads. And Alex's poor wife and daughter are you know choking in the other room on all the smoke we're making. Um, and I can't remember which one of us, but one of us realizes that the wires were disconnected, and we touch the wires, and all of a sudden this smoky mess turns into this purple mushroom of clean fire. And um, you know we, we we did this sort of inventor's high five dance, and uh, from from there, I, I, I think we knew we were onto something. 
This idea started off as a stove for camping, given your, your enthusiasm for the outdoors. At what point did you realize, hmm, you know, this market could be a lot larger if we address the need in developing countries? Yeah, so after about three years of nights and weekends tinkering, we had um, what we called a looks like works like prototype, right? So something that really demonstrated the potential in, in what we were working on. And we took it to um, an advanced wood combustion conference, if you believe that that exists, in Seattle, and two very un- unexpected things happened there. One, this is called this is the Ethos conference. This is the Ethos conference. One, uh, Alec and I were introduced to the fact that half the planet is still cooking on smoky open fires, and that those fires kill more people than HIV and TB and malaria combined. Um, And two, we entered our funny little prototype into their clean stove contest, which they have every year. Um, And we won the cleanest stove of the year, and we were the only stove that wasn't plugged into an electric wall outlet to achieve those levels of emissions. And so it was this incredible confluence of, wow, this really is an important problem, combined with we have a very unusual and promising solution that, that this industry had not seen before. You mentioned it was at the conference that that you learned the the global scope of this problem. And here you are, a kid from Manhattan and and Scarsdale, so you didn't necessarily have much exposure to the developing world prior to this. Is is that right? No, no. I mean, um, uh, prior to this, I had been to India once as a tourist. I had seen people cooking on open fires, but quite frankly, um, I had never imagined that such a prevalent practice was at the root of of so much suffering. I remember my husband and I, we were in Jordan in the Middle East in the Wadi Rum Desert, and we were sleeping in a a very large tent one night uh, with these Jordanian Bedouins. And they cooked dinner using an open flame, but that fire was actually inside the tent. Mm-hmm. And my husband, whenever we think about that trip, he's always like, yes, do you remember that night where I couldn't sleep from the smoke pollution? Is it just an education issue that people don't realize that uh, the smoke is so bad for them? Why why build the fire inside the tent, for example, versus outside the tent? Um, You've seen that too? Absolutely. I mean, this is how half the planet is cooking. Specifically, why inside the home? Um, convenience right? Protection, safety, comfort. It's, it's very hard to tell people how to live their lives differently. I think the best thing that we can offer is ways to participate in existing practices and make them safer and more convenient. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Jonathan Cedar, co-founder of BioLite, a company that produces clean biomass-powered stoves that allow clean cooking and electricity access in more than 70 countries internationally. So going back to, to the early days, once you decided to focus on both camping stoves and stoves in the developing world, how did you go about uh, convincing retailers to adopt these stoves? Were there one or two that were key in, in this acceptance? So in 2009, I left Smart Design um, to go refine the business models and raise venture capital. And I moved out to Berkeley partly to work with development economists and, folk, and, and people focused on this issue of indoor air pollution. It turned out to be a very serendipitous time to be in that sector. In to early 2010, Hillary Clinton launched the Global Alliance for Clean Cookstoves um, and used our technology as an example of innovation in the sector. 
Um, so there was really this burgeoning interest. The U.S. State Department became interested in in clean cooking and started to put some funding towards it. Um, and so it was, it was a very fertile time to be starting this business. Accidentally. Accidentally. The timing worked out well. Completely accidentally. Um, I also spent about half of that year living in India as part of a social enterprise incubator called Dasra, um, where uh, I was the only American company. It was it was me and 24 other um, Indian social enterprises, and it was a wonderful education. I, I understand campers. I shop at REI. I go camping on weekends. I don't understand what it's like to, um, or at least certainly at the time I didn't, understand what it was like to cook in a village, to buy things in a village, to deliver things to a village. So those two experiences combined really helped me refine what the business model was to a point where we could take this thing that sounded kind of crazy initially and um, actually put some venture capital behind it. One of your early investors is Clayton Christensen, who is the author of Innovator's Dilemma. He's a professor at Harvard Business School. In a way, you are living that Innovator's Dilemma because you have these uh, large incumbents who could produce these stoves, but just the infrastructure and the inertia and the entrenchment of these companies just causes them not to focus on this, whereas you don't have that 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 burden. I think that's right. Uh, I do think when we've seen larger companies like BP, like Philips come to the market, they bring all of the baggage and history from, from where they're coming from. And so if you look at BP, for example, um, when they tried to solve the cook stove problem in India, they said, great, we'll be a fuel company, right? So we'll sell these stoves at subsidized rates at a loss. And then we will, through selling biomass pellets, pay the stoves off over time. Well, turns out BP is very good at selling gasoline. BP is not very good at sourcing agricultural waste from a thousand smallholder farms, turning those into pellets and moving um, moving those out through a rural distribution channel. And, and, and that's nothing wrong with BP. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. But I, you know, we weren't burdened with those kinds of presumptions coming into our market. What were uh, some barriers in the cultural arena uh, that you didn't foresee? Sure. Oftentimes, one of the biggest barriers to women adopting clean cook stoves is that it's not valuable to their husbands. You know, men are typically controlling the finances of these households. Um, this is an expensive product. Like, there's there's no two ways around that. So, is um, it roughly forty dollars a stove? Yeah, that's about that's about right. And these um, are people who are making two dollars a day, or uh, varies. A, it's a very wide spectrum, but I would say from two to ten dollars a day. Um, but what we have very interestingly found. Um, is that the fact that our stoves generate electricity engages men in the cook stove question in ways that men never have before. And it's very funny. If you look at our village demonstrations, um, there are typically more men in the circle than women, and that is unusual for a cook stove. Because of that USB connection to their cell phones. That's right. What about the smoke? I mean, we instinctively say, oh, yeah, smoke is a bad thing. Uh, but what is the reaction of these people who, who don't see much smoke coming out of the stoves? Uh, well, my favorite quote that I've heard uh, a number of times in the villages is, well, where did you put the smoke? And the conversation isn't so much this is going to change your health over a 20-year time horizon. That's not really what's compelling. What's compelling is I can save you time. I can save how much fuel you're using. I can keep your eyes from watering while you're cooking. I can keep your 
house cleaner, right? A sooty wall is the is the sign of a less developed household, that we can really provide these aspirational qualities, which are the same reasons you and I purchase 90% of the things that we buy. Fashion. Right. Fashion. Well, Yet, fashion and function and convenience. What is some pushback that you've witnessed? Uh, for instance, in, in Myanmar, uh, some people said that the stove was, it was too small. It, was, it, it seemed like a toy. Well, so th- this was interesting. That was, that was a test that we ran in 2009. Um, we said, great, we've, you know, we can use this camp stove to solve a huge world problem. And so the first thing we heard was, well, I'm not going to break my twigs up into a million little pieces, and this doesn't cook for a family of eight. And I think that's when we started to understand, okay, it might be one technology, but it's not one product. Because the stove was too small for a family of eight. It was too small, and it didn't cook with the wood that they cooked on. And how about between countries? So while you ultimately might have gotten a cultural acceptance in Myanmar with a bigger stove, why might it not work in India? So so there were certain things that needed to be different, right? So in, in India, it needed to cook chapati well, which is a thin flatbread that gets cooked on um, this kind of conical dish called a tava. And um, we found for a while that our flames were too concentrated in the center, and so they would burn the chapati, and we needed to find ways to diffuse the flame better. In Ghana, the staple of food is called banku, um, and it's uh, this very glutinous, um, starchy thing that you stir with a huge, heavy stick, and they actually use bent rebar that they stand on to hold the pots from tipping over while mm-hmm. they cook. And so we needed to make sure that our stoves could work with that. But what we've actually found is that by and large, our stoves work fairly well for most of what you would have normally done over an open fire. People warned us that, you know, you need a different stove for every community, and that's not what we found. And, you know, I think it's unsurprising that it's not what we found, because if you look at what most people in these communities aspire to use, it's LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, so, you know, gas. And gas burners look about the same everywhere you go, and anyone who has enough money um, and lives in a place where that's accessible uses that. I want to go from uh, from Ghana to Washington Square Park in New York City. There was an introduction to the public of your stoves uh, after Hurricane Sandy. How helpful was that with the uh, PR and raising awareness of what you were doing? And, sure. and what did you do? I was actually stuck. Um, I was stuck in Seattle. I was planning our launch with REI, and a couple of our engineers took it upon themselves to take a bunch of inventory out of the office and set up tables in Washington Square Park and then in front of City Hall and then out in the Rockaways and make people tea and charge their cell phones. And it was really interesting, even in a city with um, as modern an infrastructure as New York, we realize how vulnerable we are and and how dependent. And the, the biggest pain point that people found was that they couldn't charge their cell phones and tell their loved ones that everything was okay. With a device as small as ours, you were able to cross that kind of minimum um, energy threshold. You mentioned uh, REI. It's an outdoor camping store. How important was REI in, in all of this? Um, REI has been a phenomenal partner for us. So they um, they came to us uh, at about the same time we launched online in 2012 and said, we want to launch you guys at retail. And we spent um, close to a year planning um, what became the biggest stove launch they've ever had. I want to talk about your personal life for, for a minute. Uh, you live in Brooklyn. I do. In fact, uh, you, you ski to work uh, sometimes. <laughs> um, I did cross-country ski to work one day this winter. It was 
definitely the best day of my winter. Uh, if it was up to me, it would be winter all the time. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird running an outdoor company here in New York City, but I've always been passionate about the outdoors. I went to college in New Hampshire and worked as an outdoor educator for a couple of years after college. On a ship, you spent a year uh, as an engineer and a teacher where you taught navigation skills, basically, operation skills on a 135-foot ship. Yeah. Um, so after college, I was recruited to be the uh, engineer for an oceanographic research program that ran 150-foot ships across oceans, running the engineering facilities of the ship. So the you know propulsion engines, the refrigeration, the electrical generation, the water makers... Now, did you have an interest in the sea? Uh, here you were, you know, a, a kid from the suburbs, or w- was it kind of incidental that it happened to be the sea? It could have been <laughs> trains. Um, no, I, uh, I really loved sailing little tiny dinghies as a kid on uh, a, a lake near where my uh, grandparents spent a lot of time. What do your parents do? Uh, my mom is a pediatrician and my dad is a corporate lawyer. Were you always tinkering as a kid? Yeah, I drove my parents nuts. I broke everything in our house um, trying to fix it. Um, but growing up, my uncle would give me tools for every birthday. So, you know, socket drivers and all this stuff. And I'd go out to his house and he'd allow me to strap the leaf blower to the skateboard and buzz up and down the street. So, yeah, I was I was always very mechanically curious. David Kelly is kind of a grandfather in the product design innovation world. He started a company called IDEO and the Stanford D School. In what way was he influential for you? I was bobbing around the Sargasso Sea and randomly pulled his book, The Art of Innovation, uh, off of the small library that we had um, and started reading it. And On this 150-foot ship? On this 150-foot ship. Okay. It's a closet with some books in it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and uh, started reading the book, and um, I think I was about 25 pages in uh, when I started writing my application to become an intern at Smart Design. You also played the banjo. Did you bring your banjo uh, as you traveled the world? I did. I, I had my banjo at sea with me, and um, I have a mini banjo that I oftentimes take with me when I travel in India or Africa, and um, uh, it makes for a nice conversation. Do you play the banjo while you're pedaling your stoves? <laughs> no, but that might be next year's marketing uh, plan. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My guest has been Jonathan Cedar, co-founder of BioLite. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. Get your crew free, your car, your railroad train.